The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And uh, with regard to Chen's newsletter, you need to put your name on the waiting list. Uh, go to miningstocks.com, put your name on a waiting list, and he will accept new subscribers at the start of October, uh, the next calendar quarter, over the next uh, half a month or so, uh, the first couple of weeks of October, he will be accepting new subscribers. But you do need to put your name on the waiting list first, miningstocks.com. Go there to put your name on Chen's waiting list or to sign up for my newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to encourage you to go to... Uh, uh, to follow my comments on Twitter as well at J. Taylor Media. Send me your comments, questions, complaints, uh, praises, whatever, your thoughts to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Avino Silver and Gold, Novo Resources, and Balmoral Resources. I've titled today's show, How Much Longer Can This Fascist Monetary Fraud Continue? To help answer that question, Michael Oliver and then Dave Kranzler will be joining me once again today. The United States Constitution says that only Congress shall create money. But somehow, given the corruption of our legal system, the Federal Reserve, a private corporation owned and operated by major international banking interests, weaseled their way into doing what only the Congress has the legal right to do. Of course, thanks to the power of these extremely wealthy interests, they were able to buy off both Congress to create the Federal Reserve Act in 1913 and the judges thereafter to rule that the U.S. Constitution didn't really mean what it said, namely that the very rich bankers could, after all, create as much money as they wanted and in the process reallocate wealth from those that earn it to themselves. The media, as well as the university system, which is also owned and controlled by these same interests, or by those who are closely tied to the system, systemic theft that our banking system enables, 
has ensured that the vast majority of Americans remain incredibly ignorant about what is really taking place. As historian William Engdahl told us a few weeks ago, President Kennedy most likely gave up his life in large part because of his efforts to return our country to its constitutional money when he issued Executive Order 1110. As the Constitution required, Kennedy's Executive Order 1110 allowed or required Congress to issue money, in this, in this case allowed Congress to issue money, uh, it not only did Executive Order 1110 exclude the illegal Federal Reserve, but it allowed Congress to issue money on the basis of the amount of silver the Treasury held at that time, and it held a lot of silver at that time. No doubt the owners of the Federal Reserve Bank were really pissed off about this, just as any thief is angered by floodlights being shined on them as he enters, breaks into and enters a house at nighttime. Suddenly, if Executive Order 1110 were to become a general practice and the Federal Reserve were pushed out of the picture as Gresham's law prevailed, then it would no longer be possible for these powers behind the throne to take over America and its government as they have indeed done in subsequent years. So Kennedy had to go. Kennedy had to go. Powerful interests saw to it that he did. If all that sounds like pure conspiracy nonsense, I would encourage you to read Dr. Engel's book, Gods of Money, and I do plan to have him back on this show sometime in the fall. And so with Kennedy's death, the bankers were enabled to legally engage in counterfeiting, not unlike a mafia Don does, but on a scale a trillion times larger than any mafia counterfeiter has ever done. And as a result, the American people have not only lost their country, but the global economy may well be teetering on the brink of a catastrophic implosion. Certainly, as we heard last week from Dr. Robert McHugh, he is 99% convinced that we have not only seen the highs for this bull market run in equities, but are, that we are on the verge of the biggest bear market and economic collapse, not only of my lifetime, and I'm 68 years old, but what we are facing, according to Dr. McHugh, is much, much larger than that. Larger than 2008, 2009 decline, larger than the 1929 uh, crash and the subsequent depression. McHugh stated this past week that he thinks we will see a stair-step decline over the next seven years that can take us below 1,000 on the Dow, which puts him right in the same camp as Robert Prechter and Ian Gordon, who both have expressed those views on this show in the past. Of course, part of the way that the thieves at the Fed have been able to perpetuate their counterfeiting operation is to keep people believing that no matter how many trillions of dollars they create, each dollar retains the same amount of value. And to perpetuate that lie, there can be little doubt that their efforts did not stop with the killing of Kennedy. In fact, there was the London Gold Pool in the 1960s, followed by Nixon detaching gold from money. That occurred in uh, August of 1971, and that really freed up the printing of endless amounts of money, which has, of course, resulted in endless debt levels that now threaten the, to cause the kind of global depression, global depression that Dr. McHugh and Robert Prechter and others have been talking about. As central banks then did, in fact, print endless amounts of money, the gold price rose from $35 to $850 during the 1970s. Volcker allowed treasury rates to rise to 13% or so. That bought some time for the bankers to regroup and for some actual economic growth over the next few years. 
That combined with downward manipulation of the gold price by the banking thieves kept a belief in the dollar and the downward pressure on gold in place pretty much until a couple of years into the turn of the new century. But, alas, the laws of nature have prevailed to an extent with gold rising to around $1,900 by 2011 when the U.S. Treasury debt was downgraded. At that time, the bankers apparently went to work once again to keep the endless QE from driving gold into the stratosphere which in turn would cause a loss of confidence in the con game engineered by Lord Keynes uh, and other communist intellectuals who have sought to destroy the middle class and grab all the wealth and power for the elite. Um, David Jensen has explained extensively how the bankers have managed to keep a lid on the price of gold and silver, and I would strongly suggest that you go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, and listen to the extensive interviews that I have had with David, who carefully documents evidence of ongoing manipulation of the gold markets. So go to jtaylormedia.com and click on David's picture in the upper right-hand side to learn more about this very important topic. But that brings us to the question of now. While history is important in understanding the present, the most important focus is the present. Eventually, no matter how powerful the sinister forces of the Federal Reserve and the U.S. military force and the American police state can be, the laws of nature will ultimately prevail. Dr. Robert McHugh told us last week that he is convinced that the precious metals markets and the mining stocks are not only bottoming out here, but they are building a base that should lead to a major breakout on the upside. Dr. McHugh stuck by his views this past week and last week on this show that he still sees gold heading north of 1400 before the end of this year. We are going to go to break now, but when we come back, I want to hear what Michael Oliver has to say about the equity markets as well as gold and silver certainly on the news that the Chinese are joining the currency wars, has rattled the markets today. But what is the technical work of Michael Oliver telling us about, about that, about the Chinese markets, the equity markets, the precious metals markets? And then half past the hour, I will have hedge fund manager David Kranzler with me to get his views on the nonsensical price of silver and gold, but he's maybe focused more on silver today, given reports of massive short shortages of this poor man's gold. Also, I want to ask Dave for his thoughts on the news that came out of China today and what it may mean not only to the financial markets going forward, but also for the potential of the BRICS to compete against NATO and the paper dollar fraud perpetuated by the United States Federal Reserve Bank and enforced by NATO's military industrial complex. We do have to go to break now, but don't go away because coming back, Michael Oliver will be with us to tell us what his technical views of the markets are at this time. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. We're always talking business. 
talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me once again uh, my favorite technical analyst, Michael Oliver. Michael doesn't try to do the impossible and make a once-in-a-blue-moon sensational call on the markets, although he has made some very good calls uh, of late. I mean, what coming to mind was the, was the call to go along on Chinese equities last fall, last summer, last fall, whenever it was, and it was uh, a spectacular call. Uh, but in my view, Michael is more like a civil engineer who looks most closely at the structure of markets to determine how solid and how, or how shaky uh, those markets may be, much as an engineer would look at how sturdy and firm a, a building is uh, as opposed to how shaky it might be. And, and then he employs his momentum uh, techniques to try to determine the timing, and, um, and not all at once either, because Michael is sort of... Uh, sort of plays the odds as as the market unfolds and gives him more information. So I've gained a lot of respect for Michael's work. I feel very comfortable with it, which is why he's on this show so frequently. Whenever we have time for him, we have him come on. In the past, uh, he's been exclusively employed by household name institutions, but now he is making his service available to average folks. So let me strongly suggest you go to OliverMSA.com, Oliver, Amazon, Mary, Sam, Albert.com, OliverMSA.com to learn more about his work and to sign up for his service. Thank you again, Michael, for joining me today. It's always great to be here. You know, uh, Michael, you are a technical analyst, but you also are a good writer, and you provide some very colorful language. Today, you put out something, I guess, in response to the turbulence in the markets coming out of China today, Swirly Masters. Uh, you said decades ago, Ed Yardini coined the phrase bond vigilantes, and it stuck. Today is MSA's turn. What are you talking about when you mention swirly masters? Well, you know, there's the phrase that was written uh, was a Tom Wolfe a few years ago about the bond markets, the uh, masters of the universe, you know, people yes. who thought they were in charge. of. Well, the CBs, the central banks, we use the word CB, everybody does. That's too polite in my, my view. Uh, these guys are masters of the swirly, and we're now in a big swirly. Uh, and it's getting worse and worse. And even people who academically a few years ago might not have been critics of central banks or swirly masters, I call them now, uh, are now piling on even Bill Gross. Uh, Greenspan's even piped in recently. Uh, El Arian, of course, is for a couple of years warned of the consequences of the monetary excess of the central banks. Uh, some folks emphasize the consequences that will occur to the bond markets, others to the equity markets, or both. Uh, and no doubt, they're all going to be true. The question is the timing. And the swirling masters are, are stirring the pot. And what was so funny last night was that they got all upset at the Chinese cu- uh, cutting their currency back 1.9%. <laughs> as if it was some child in class out of out of, out of order, 
Yeah. And they scolded him and got mad about the Chinese having a currency war. Uh, goodness gracious, the Japanese who cut the yen 30% deliberately over the last few years. Uh, the ECB cut the, uh, the euro 25% in one year intentionally. And we're complaining, they're complaining about a 1.9% uh, arbitrary adjustment by the Chinese communists. So it's, a, it's, it's like, oh, you're out of line. And these guys, I visualize it as, uh, it's like trolls arguing with each other, uh, other under the bridge. <laughs> so I, I label them the swirly masters, and unfortunately we as investors have to deal with the swirlies that they've created. And the issue then becomes, okay, they created them and they're the swirly masters, but you have to time it. And mm -hmm. each market has its own timing, and as we've seen with the bond market in Europe uh, back in April, May, had a sharp collapse. Uh, and so they're not all in sequence, but they all are starting to come a bit unhinged. And uh, I think the U.S. equity market's about to join that. Mm -hmm. Well, you certainly over the last uh, last uh, 12 months or so have been talking about uh, some major plate tectonics that are changing and sort of rubbing up against each other and that we could have some major changes in the markets. And, of course, you know, much as, uh, as continental plates take a long time to shift, uh, it does take some time for these major changes to take place. But I have to wonder, you know, you, your point is well taken. 1.9% as opposed to 30% in Japan, 25% in the ECB, and those those countries, of course, have enjoyed the advantage of a cheaper currency when it comes to exporting. The Chinese have actually kept their currency pretty well attached to the United States dollar, which has been a disadvantage to them. And they've been complaining, of course, about the treatment that they're getting from the IMF. They would like to become a member of our club, but apparently somebody doesn't want them in. Uh, and so, you know, I, I guess this is more to do with geopolitics uh, and you're looking at the markets. But what I'm saying is we've seen quite a response in the equity markets today and the bond markets too, uh, potentially. But I mean, there's a lot of money moving into the treasuries today, U.S. treasuries. But uh, what are you, so we look to you, Michael, as one who really looks at the structure of these markets. Whereas, you know, these are sensational headlines today. What are you seeing what are you seeing of a more permanent nature from your study of the structure of the equity markets? And in particular, I know you follow the S&P 500. What are you seeing in that market now? Uh, well, are, do you think that we've seen the top? I think we talked about this last week, perhaps, and, and we've had Dr. Robert McHugh is absolutely, well, I wouldn't say absolutely, but 99% convinced that we've seen the, the tops of this, of this move for equities. Would you agree with him on that? I, I would love to, uh, primarily because back in January, uh, MSA predicted the high would be 2130, and uh -huh. twice this year we've hit 2130 and stopped, so it would be great if that's the high. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm about 70% convinced it is, but you drop another percent and a half or so in the S&P, and my confidence level goes up to about max, that yes, mm -hmm. you've seen the high of the year. Uh, then the question becomes, okay, well, if you've got a top in place, where are you going and, and in what fashion manner are you going to go there? Uh, mm -hmm. is, it, is it a collapse of 25% right away, or is it 10, 10 to 15% slabs with teasing rallies in between? Those are the next issues that have to be dealt with uh, uh, from the point of view of a, especially a trader. Now, mm -hmm. an investor who's going to invest short in the market and say, well, I'm coming back in two years, well, then, you know, I'd say you drop another percent and a half or two in the S&P, you better have your position on and mm -hmm. uh, come back in a year and a half, two years and cover uh, at whatever level that might be. Uh, but in the meantime, it could be tricky on the way down. The issue is to turn it over, roll it over sufficiently to where you know it's topped. Uh, today's action is approaching that kind of behavior. 
Uh, and I, again, I'd say you know, you get down into the 2040s on the S&P, just circle the high, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and oh. we saw 2067 a week uh, Friday, I think it was, and uh, we saw 2044 earlier in the month. So basically take out the lows of the month and it's over, uh, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Now, mm-hmm. then the reverse is going on in certain other markets, and that would be gold and silver primarily, and gold mining stocks, which have been vastly destroyed. Uh, and I think they are literally inverse to the S&P. Uh, in fact, uh, my argument is that the fundamental of gold that matters now are not issues like the dollar or the rate of inflation or all those things. Uh, those persist over time. Literally, it's an asset reallocation issue. If you can rattle the equity longs and enough of them get rattled enough to move their money elsewhere, uh, I argue a lot of them are going to move their money into the uh, relatively undervalued commodities and gold and silver being uh, up front in that list. And so, and of course, it doesn't take a lot of money moving out of equities to really boost the silver and gold market, given the relative size. Sure. Uh, and so, I, I think it's 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 six of one, half dozen of the other. If equities top, gold's bottomed. Now, then the issue becomes: well, within the gold-silver complex, what do you do? My argument is: use gold as your metric to measure the turn. Once you're convinced of it, and I have a layered. Uh, sequence of numbers that I issue in the reports that suggest, okay, here's more confidence, more confidence, more confidence, uh, then commit more and more to the better places to be in that arena. And I think that's silver and the gold mining indexes, or ETFs. Uh, gold is the last of the group in terms of percent likelihood gains. I think silver could vastly outperform gold on the upside on a percent basis, and I think the gold miners could... Uh, right now, the GDX, for example, the ETF of the primary gold miners, is trading at 14 area. Uh, it could double in a heartbeat. And by, by that, I mean it could double within six months. Under the right technical circumstances, and the numbers that would trigger that are not all that far above the market, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a, if you, you want to buy gold, uh, don't buy gold, buy silver, and focus on the gold miners, because I think the percent gain there is vastly greater than gold could offer. And also, I might add this, uh, it's also vastly greater potential upside on a percent basis of silver and the gold miners than it is downside in the S&P. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if right, the gold so is the percent gained, <laughs> focus on the gold miners and silver. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, Michael, we're seeing today, again, we're seeing uh, a lot of blood in the streets when it comes to the uh, to the energy markets. I haven't checked in the last since lunchtime, but earlier in the day, uh, oil was down very significantly. Copper was also getting hammered again, giving back its gains of yesterday. And uh, you know, so so these commodity markets are you are you at all bullish on commodities in general? I mean, I, I don't know if, what your position is on that. I, I think the commodities in general, the laggards in particular, are the most the headline ones. The copper and oil, for example, are headline weak commodities. But that is not the case in the grains, for example. Grains got uh, shellacked uh, in 2013. Gold got shellacked in 2013. Everything since then is residue in these markets. For oil, it got uh, it, it broke in the summer and late 2014. So it's very much a laggard, and it's still in the process of grinding out its low. I do not think you've seen the low. Once we got to 45, I expected this drop this quarter from 60 back to 50 at least. Mm-hmm. By getting to 45 several days ago, I think you're going to take out the lows. The low mm-hmm. in March was 42.03. Low today is in the 42s. I think that 42 is coming out. I mm-hmm. think you'll probably break 40. I don't have any expectations beyond that, however. 
But then the issue becomes, okay, fine, if, if you're near a bottom, does that mean you go in? Well, it doesn't mean because you're near a bottom that it's ripe to turn up in a sustainable way. It may take a lot longer to do some basing, which is my expectation in the case of the oil market. Uh, you may find a low, but that doesn't mean you you get a green light to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd focus on the certain commo- parts of the commodity market, the gold, silver, uh, grains, uh, and so forth, uh, and ignore the oil and copper for the moment. But in general, yes, commodities, I think, are at a bottom, close to a bottom in some, have bottomed in others, and are ripe for an upturn. But it will not be a unified upturn. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, it makes a certain amount of sense to me, Michael. We're looking at the monetary metals and the stuff you have to eat, I mean food, right, and, and uh, mm-hmm. agricultural items uh, that you have to have no matter what the market circumstances are. So uh, that, that all makes a lot of sense. With just a minute or two left here, I would like to ask you uh, your views on uh, high-yield debt. You put out something a little while ago, and I want to thank you for it because I've made some money with it. Uh, uh, taking a, a short position through an ETF, uh, on high yield debt. Now, today, as I mentioned, the Treasury markets are strong. The U.S. Treasury markets are strong. I think the dollar is up a little bit, and uh, but the yield, high yield markets, I think, are, are getting hurt a bit. And you know, in, in particular, one that I use, ProShares Short High Yield uh, SJB, as a symbol. Uh, it's made a nice gain. At least it was earlier today. Uh, what are your comments on high yield? Is that something that you would uh, yeah, be I, very I cautious about? I think the debt markets uh, have, have problems ahead, and that's what uh, I think Bill Gross and Elarian have been talking about for a while. Bill Gross recently, even Greenspan has talked about bond markets. And, but I think the emphasis of the weakness initially is going to come into the high yield part. After all, that's where the, the swirly masters have forced, effectively forced investors to place their capital because they've denied them yield in, in the normal, safer markets. They've forced them into these markets, and therefore these markets are bloated with investors who are at great risk. Uh, and therefore, that's where the bloodletting will occur. So, for example, you can be long TLT or treasuries or T-notes and, and actually be gaining on the upside while high-yield instruments are going down in price. Sure. Uh, sure. So it's, they're not only you know, the spreads widening, their net direction's opposite. And I think at some point, though, uh, once the high-yield markets have had their payoff, uh, which clearly I don't think has happened, uh, then the tension should turn to the government markets, where people are plowing their money into now for safety, not for yield. Uh, and so, though for the moment, the safer markets, Germany and the U.S., are perceived as a flight to safety arena, uh, and that's, that, that should prevail for a while. But there will be a point where that won't be true either. But right now, I would focus on high yield markets as, as, the, as, a, as a victim of the, the, whirly, the swirly masters, just like the equity markets are. That's yeah. where the, they forced people into. Therefore, that's the place where the most pain is going to be distributed. Yeah, it, it certainly makes a lot of sense to me because, uh, you know, those are the higher risk markets. But I have to think, you know, if everybody, the currency wars have been um, sort of ramped up a bit today, if you believe the press anyway, what's going on in China, that uh, if China gets into the currency wars now in a major way, as you as you noted, only 1.9% devaluation of their currency. But if they were to try to catch up with Japan down 30%, and uh, you know, it could really sort of usher in a global money printing contest, I would think, and we've had a lot of that, but perhaps in spades now. And then you'd have to wonder if there wouldn't be some confidence shaken in the dollar and in the treasury markets at some point in time. I mean, how long can this go on is the question, I guess. But what we look to you, 
Michael, for is some sense, again, of that structure of the markets. You know, when things are starting to look shaky, not only look shaky, but are shaky from an engineer's point of view. And uh, you, you provide that, that guidance to your subscribers. And again, I would just like to tell my listeners uh, and remind them, it's Oliver MSA, Oliver, M as in Mary, S as in Sam, A as in Albert.com. Oliver MSA, go there, learn more about Michael's work. I can tell you that I really, really enjoy it and have benefited and profited from it. I want to thank you again, Michael, for being with us, and I look forward to doing it again next week or sometime uh, in the near future as, as time permits on this show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Well, we are going to go to commercial break now, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to David Kranzler, hedge fund manager. David uh, indicated to me he has some uh, some information that may be very surprising, uh, so we're looking forward to talking to David as soon as we uh, come back from the break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me once again fund manager, hedge fund manager, Dave Kranzler. And uh, I'm not going to waste time reading his bio now because we've read it before, but uh, I would like to remind those of you who may not be familiar with David's background, his very impressive background. You can read about it at on my page at the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, and I would say, better yet, go to investmentresearchdynamics.com, investmentresearchdynamics.com, to learn more about, about Dave Kranzler as well as uh, read his very interesting commentary and the commentary of others that is posted there. Uh, a great insights in terms of the markets and uh, related geopolitics. I think uh, very, very valuable, very worth your time going there. I enjoy David's commentary uh, almost daily and uh, just sort of want to pass it along to you, and that's why we have him on the show again. Thanks for joining me again, David. Thanks for having me, Jay. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Always good to have your thoughts uh, and your insights into the markets. Today, of course, the big news coming out of China, the People's Bank of China downgrading or, let's say, 
revaluing uh, uh, the uh, the currency by just a little under two percent uh, vis-a-vis the dollar. Uh, you know, it's not much of a move, as our previous guest was saying. The, the Japanese yen has depreciated thirty percent over the last year, I think it was, and the uh, and the euro by twenty five percent vis-a-vis the dollar. So a two percent move. Uh, you know, wonder what's uh, what's this all about? Of course, the Chinese had been. Uh, keeping their their currency pretty well pegged to the U.S. dollar, and and maybe it's the potential for much bigger moves ahead that has the markets roiled. But what are your thoughts on it? Do you, and do you, do you have any sort of insights into what might be going on beyond what we've heard in the mainstream press today? Yeah, this is a great topic. I mean, it's I, I think the press in general, the talking heads on TV, have kind of given this superficial attention here. Um, and I did some thinking about it this morning, and then I tried to Google around and see if I could find other an- analysis of it. And there really isn't much on the internet. But you you hit the nail on the head. It's it's not so much about the the 1.9 percent reval that happened last night. It's the fear that this is symbolic of the currency war, in which we're basically in a currency war that's a global race to zero. And a lot of guys were warning about this in the early 2000s, as I'm sure you recall. Sure. And it's taken a lot longer for it to happen than I would have thought. I would have thought that where we are now is where we would have been five or six years ago. Well, we were on that path until they started QE. But um, I think the market is, is fearing more of this from China. And really what China's doing here is is they're – they're bracing for impact. That is to say, their economy is is basically collapsing. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't see that's what everyone focuses on, and it irritates me when when the media, the financial media, and the Wall Street monkeys get on TV and they talk about how bad China is, how bad Europe is, how bad Japan is. Well, guess what? <laughs> the U.S. isn't in any better shape than any of these other countries, especially when you when you analyze through. The headline propaganda economic reports like that, the employment report that we just saw. So mm-hmm. to me, it's China acknowledging, yeah, you know, the world is, is headed for a deep depression. We're bracing for impact. We're going to devalue our currency so that we can try and stimulate our manufacturing exports as much as possible. They've mm-hmm. been slowly letting the bubble out of their huge financial bubble. I mean, Every day I wake up, all I see is the Fed and and the government trying to keep our bubbles re- inflated or inflate them even more. So, and also, you know, most importantly, China's obviously accumulating a lot of gold, a lot more gold than they're willing to disclose to the world. So, so I, I what I see is I see China getting their country and their economic system ready for what's coming. And, and to me, it's basically an economic torpedo that they fired at the United States, and that's why the stock market's tanking today. Mm-hmm. We were expecting China to behave the way we wanted to for our interest and not necessarily theirs, I guess. That's exactly right. Well, I, you know, go ahead. Oh, one thing that always gets lost in the shuffle, and I was actually chatting with, with Dr. Paul Craig Roberts about this last night, one thing that, that people don't overlook is the fact that China has a $3.6 trillion foreign currency reserve slush fund. The U.S. doesn't have that. If you go and you look at what the U.S. foreign currency reserves are, it's something like $32 billion, and, <laughs> and it declines on a daily basis. 
So not and not only do they have the foreign currency reserve slush fund, they just increase the value of it in terms of yuan, but also they obviously have a, a lot of gold, and we don't know how much gold the U.S. and Europe have left. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a mystery. But a moment ago, Dave, you know, you said that you made the point that China has been accumulating a lot more gold than they're letting on. You know, most people, as you call them the Wall Street monkeys that we see on, on uh, mainstream television, would say, so what? what? What's gold mean? What's gold have to do with anything? Talk to our listeners and maybe make that clear. I'm sure a lot of our listeners understand it. But what's going on here? You know, we've seen a lot of uh, gold transferring from the West. I mean, this is, as James Turk has always pointed out, gold follows wealth, where wealth is being created and it runs away from poverty. It runs away from indebtedness and so forth. So we're seeing this transfer of gold to the to the uh, from the west to the east china india importing huge amounts of gold as they have been inclined to do but more recently china more rapidly and russia too the BRIC countries if you will and of course you know it was just recently uh, was it just a week or two ago that the imf uh, basically slapped china in the face again and said no you're not ready to be a member of our exclusive sdr club uh get out of here essentially do you think what's going on today or what the Chinese have done might be related and, and might, how does gold fit into this whole whole picture, if you would care to comment on that? That's actually a, a great question. And um, just real quickly, I, I do think that um, what China did last night was was sort of a, a message of their disappointment over the IMF, which really means the U.S. turning them down to have yeah. the, the yuan as part of the the IMF SDR. Um, but I, I mean, we're in a period now—it's a little over forty years—where the world has not been on a gold standard, and it's, I think it's one of the longest periods in five thousand years of, of of history where there hasn't been a gold standard, and it, it clearly doesn't work. And I, I think what's going to happen is, is as, the, as the economic power of the world shifts from the west to the east, I think that a gold standard is going to be reinstated. And what it's going to allow China to do, especially if they basically, I mean, they're basically the economic 600-pound gorilla now. They're the largest importer, the largest exporter. They have a huge population for, for to fuel their own economy plus they've spent the better part of the last 10 years diversifying their exports away from the US and and into the regional economies around them so um, I think I think reinstating a gold standard or, or re, you know rolling out a gold back one will sort of be the last sort of move it'll sort of be the checkmate that'll transfer economic and political power from the U.S., the NATO bloc, and specifically the U.S. into China, and and I think that's I think that's what's going on there. And I mean, imagine this scenario because this is one that I've always thought about for you know ten years. Let's say China decides to roll out a gold-backed currency, and they say, okay, and they don't have to have the reserve currency. It doesn't have to be a reserve currency. All they uh -huh. have to do is say, okay. This is our currency, and if you want to trade with us, you either have to convert your currency into our currency, or you have to demonstrate that you your currency has gold backing, and we yeah. want we want proof. I right. mean, where's that going to leave the United States? Yeah, if you want to sell to us, you got to give us uh, 
you know, you, you have to, if you're going to buy from us, you have to prove that you have, that you're, you have some worthy currency to pay us with. Right. If you want to buy from us and use your currency and convert it into ours, we need to know that your currency is backed by gold. Right. Otherwise, you need to go out into the market and, and exchange your currency for our currency and then trade with us. And they can do that without making their, their currency the official reserve currency. Yeah. They're just saying, hey, if you want to buy our, our electronic products, you, you got to use a gold-backed currency. And you need to show us that yours is gold-backed. Otherwise, you got to convert into ours. Yeah. You know, and if, if that were to happen and the U.S. said, well, no, you just we have our gold. It's been 8,100 tons since... 1971 and that's what it is and, and and China would say well fine go convert your currency into our currency in the marketplace I guarantee you it would just crush the value of the dollar yeah yeah well that that explains Dave how the you know how that how that transfer could uh, you know how could matter uh, if China went on a gold currency because you know I think that's probably what people aren't really really connecting and understanding so thank you for that explanation I think it helps to clarify you know what China does is important, and uh, in in that regard, because they are such an important exporter. And uh, you know how much uh, how much would we have to pay uh, for the uh, for the imports of of electronic uh, equipment and other things that we buy from China, if uh, if all of a sudden uh, that market disappeared from us? Because so China doesn't want it to disappear e- either. But on the other hand, they want to get paid in something that's that's a value and not the uh, not these worthless, increasingly worthless dollars. Which, of course, I believe, and I, you can tell me if you agree or not. To a great extent, the dollar is underpinned by our military, our military-industrial complex. You, I think you probably agree with that, right, David? No question about it. I mean, that's the only way that I can ever imagine that the U.S. was able to convince the world. In, in 1971 to take our dollars without a gold backing mm-hmm. because and at a, that point in time the U.S. was one of two superpowers and arguably probably even back then the biggest superpower over and above Russia so there's no yeah. question the dollars backed by military might rather than economic might yeah, and it seems as though we have to continue uh, going along that path in order to retain uh, the dollars of reserve currency, which sort of leads me to the Ukraine. Issues come out of the Ukraine today. There's a big big bit of news today about how there are Ukrainian hackers uh, that tapped into some of the uh, to, to some of the news media in the United States, the uh, purveyors of uh, corporate uh, corporate news, uh, in order to these guys getting inside information before it hits the market, and then place their bets in various equities and I suppose bonds as well, based on that news. In other words, insider trading that they gained through hacking in the United States. Not only uh, not only the um, uh, the securities uh, part of the United States government, but also. Homeland Security it seems to be getting very interested in these Ukrainian hackers. I don't know if you followed this story or not, Dave, but any any idea about how that may play into this whole mix of of uh, geopolitics? Because I think geopolitics is it's something Americans don't think much about, but I think it's so important if you follow what's going on with our with our geopolitical moves around the world and uh, the Ukraine, of course, Russia. Uh, and the Ukraine, where we seem to be at war, although we've backed away from the rhetoric recently against Putin to the extent we had been engaging. Any any thoughts on that? What might be going on there with that Ukrainian news today? If you followed it, well, I, I missed that news story. 
Um, but I mean, when I hear something like that, my initial reaction is, okay, how credible is the news source? Mm-hmm. And what would be what would be the motive for planting a news source like that? And and to me, it's the same thing. When we got that news, I think it was on Friday or Saturday morning that some Soviets or some Russians had hacked into the Pentagon yeah. computer system, and it, you know, it was just kind of like. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we're supposed to believe that Russia shot down MH17 or whatever the numbers were on that plane. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I don't know to what extent. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of false reporting that's being planted in the media, and, and to me, when I see something about Ukrainian hackers hacking into our our news sources so they can get inside information. Well, if the Ukrainians can do it, that then you're, you know, that means that Wall Streeters are doing it all the time. <laughs> so, and that then that would not even make it real news. Who cares? Yeah, and if it's Ukrainians, it might not be Russian. It might not be uh, Ukrainians that are sympathetic to Putin, but could be on our side. Right. So exactly. Dan, Daniel McAdam. I didn't see the article, so I don't know yeah. who they're attributing well, I, to the Ukrainians to. But yeah, well, they, on television today they marched out guys from. Uh, you know, from the SEC, uh, the, the lady lawyer from the SEC, a guy from Homeland Security, and a guy from the FBI, and they've got 32 people. They're arresting some in the United States, uh, and these are guys that apparently were front-running the market with inside information that was gained through hacking. Now, you know, who knows? But I, I know in talking to Danny McAdams uh, of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, how many false flags, and we go over history, how many false flags have been raised in order to get the American people on side of the ruling elite that wants another war. So who knows what's going on. We have currency wars, and we could have hot wars, I suppose, that are related to that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the manipulation of, of the silver markets. And you, you're you talking here, you, you've had several things on your, on your blog in the last couple of days about the silver markets. You had one article that says there's a problem in the silver market. And you mentioned in the article that there is an unintended consequence of the United States government's efforts to drive physical and gold uh, out of the system. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? The unintended consequences? Well, I mean, what's happened here, and I assume everyone who's listening to, to your show understands that the price of gold and silver is being manipulated with, with paper gold and silver, primarily yes. on the COMEX. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's, it's an artificial takedown of the price of gold. And what's happening is, is China and India are saying, great, drive it lower, we'll buy more. I mean, it, it's no coincidence that since they've been driving down the price of silver, all of a sudden India shifted some of their importing of gold into importing of silver, and they're on track to import a record amount of silver this year. And this is, this is physical silver that has to be delivered. I mean, it, it, would, it would spoil the, the scheme if all of a sudden India announced to the world that there's several Western banks that aren't delivering the silver that India paid for, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one thing to suspend sales from the U.S. Mint. Who cares? Boo-hoo. You know, mom yeah. America are going to have to wait a while to get their silver eagles. But when you're talking about massive quantities of physical gold and silver that China and India are buying... You can't default on that. So I think part of what's happened, and I, you know, you have the, the in 
at almost for almost every silver producer, the, the market price of silver is below their cost of production. So you've got silver production is declining. And so you've had, not only have you had an increased demand for physical gold and silver, you've had a decline in the amount that's being produced. I mean, high-cost gold mines have been being shuttered for the last few years. And what it's done is it's 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 created a shortage of silver, and we're starting to see visible evidence of that. I mean, that... The mint had to suspend production of silver eagles, and uh-huh. by law, constitutionally, they're supposed to produce enough silver to meet demand. And I think it was, I don't know, five, four or five years ago, it was all supposed to be produced from U.S. silver, and they had to open up production, or open up that silver pool to silver that they've been importing from Mexico in order to meet demand. Mm. Yeah. And then... Um, there had been rumors going around that the Canadian Mint was starting to run out of, of inventory and supply, and a friend of mine had bought a 10-ounce silver, a Royal Canadian Mint silver bar from a, a, an internet bullion dealer, and they had his check, his check cleared, he waited another few days, and he got an email that said, they can't send them in the bar because they don't have it, and the Royal Canadian Men to stop production of it. Huh. Well, and the, the only reason they would have stopped production of this bar is because they needed to save silver blanks to keep producing silver maple leaves, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there was no news announcement that they stopped producing this bar, but if, when they stopped producing silver maple leaves, everyone knows about it. Sure. So to me, that's that's another visible sign that we're starting to see physical supply shortages in gold and silver and that plus the fact that um, gold and silver the price of gold and silver has been in backwardation in London now for several weeks and what that means is that the spot price is higher than the future price which means that people will pay more to to buy gold or silver and have it in hand now rather than pay a future price that's lower than the spot price and wait 30 days in order to have it delivered. It means that the market doesn't trust that that gold or silver will definitely be delivered. So it's, it's sort of the burden hand is worth more than two in the bush type scenario. Sure, sure. And, and those kinds of situations beg for arbitrage to take away the difference. And if that isn't happening, then it's really suggesting there must be a shortage, I would think. Because you shouldn't have that kind of prolonged uh, situation. You shouldn't have that sort of um, situation lasting for long, should you? That's exactly right. And in terms of the real unintended consequence here, and it's something that um, this was one of GATA's founding premises, as you well know, you know, back in late 90s, early 2000s, was that eventually the paper scheme to, to manipulate the price of gold is going to get overwhelmed by a shortage of physical gold and silver and the price of physical gold and silver are going to blow away the paper price and I don't know when that's going to happen but it's possible that we might be seeing the beginnings of that now I mean I, I think we started to see it in 2008 mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the price of gold and silver ran up quite a bit and I think that that cut off a lot of demand, and it also um, stimulated mine supply, et cetera. So, sure. Um, but now they've driven it down. We're not back quite back at those levels, but they've driven it down, you know, a significant amount again. It's it's stimulated all kinds of demand, 
and and some of the demand that we're seeing that wasn't there in 08 is obviously demand from China and increased demand from India. I think, like I said, I think India is on pace to import. They're for sure on pace to import a record amount of silver this year, and I think they're now on pace to import a record amount of gold. India, so it's, it's got to be stressing out the physical supply of gold and silver, and I, I think at some point it's we're, we'll wake up one day and and both the, the the price of gold and silver will be a lot higher. And it's, it's, you know, when you go out and try to buy some, you're going to have to wait a long time to get delivery. Well, as long as they can convince enough people that are in the futures markets to uh, not to worry that it will be there, as long as that con game can continues, I suppose. But, you know, Dave, when we get a sort of a shakeout in the markets like we're getting now, I would imagine there's some people that are selling whatever they're able to sell and not necessarily what they want to sell. And that could also put a bit of a lid on uh, on gold and silver on the upside but uh, I note today I'm not sure where it's at now but earlier today with the equity markets getting hammered really hard and the high yield markets also uh, you know money flowing back into treasuries uh, and also uh, gold was holding up very well in fact it was up a bit today for the most part so maybe do you think we might have uh, we might be in a bottoming process here finally for gold and for silver who knows? I, think it's, I think it's a real distinct possibility, and, and your previous guest, Michael Oliver, was talking about that, and, and I completely agree with what he's saying, and that is, you know, if the markets have topped and we get a, a, a massive sell-off in the stock in equities, we're going to see the inverse happen with gold and silver and mining stocks, and that's exactly what happened in 2008 and 2009. Gold and silver bottomed in mid to late October. And right around that time, the S&P 500 started selling off. It actually started selling off before that. Um, and gold and silver sold off with it. But then they bottomed in October and they started moving up again. And the S&P didn't hit a, a final bottom until I think it was mid-March or mid-April in 2009. And the only reason it bottomed is because of the massive money printing that the Fed sure. engaged in. Sure. And I don't remember the exact magnitude of the moves in gold and silver, but I know the Huey index ran from 150. I think it bottomed at 150 in the first couple of days of November, and it hit 300 by the end of December. And then that's the kind of moves that I think we're going to see again if, if in fact, they're starting to lose control of their ability to prop up the stock market. Well, we're certainly what we certainly saw in 2008-2009 was the real price of gold rising relative to commodities, relative to the Rogers Fund, which is what I watch very carefully. And with that then went the profits of the major mining companies. They rose very dramatically. And of course, gold was rising very dramatically too, along with QE and the stock market, both very well linked to the increase in the monetary reserves until the United States uh, treasuries were downgraded by S&P in uh, 2011. I think it was around August. One month later, gold got slammed extremely hard and then from then went down. But of course, the equity market continued to move up along with quantitative easing. So I can't help but think that that was, there was more than just a coincidence that the gold market was, <laughs> was smacked down exactly at the time the S&P said, wait a minute, in the minds of many investors, perhaps, uh, perhaps the dollar isn't as good as gold. Well, whoa, gold is going up. The equity market's going down. And I'm just wondering if something like that might not be uh, in the cards right now. Again, we have about one minute, but I wanted to ask you, in, in closing here, Dave, 
Dave, you know, uh, you had mentioned uh, the provenant metals situation. Was that what you were referring to a minute ago about the... Yes. Okay, and then you're also saying that people really need to be careful when they're buying these metals online. I guess that's that's what you're suggesting. So where should people go if, they're, if they really need to be sure? I, I guess uh, probably the Sprott uh, people would be good to go to. I don't know. What, what's your suggestion? Well, and again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything negative about Provident other than the fact yeah. that they had represented that they had these bars in inventory, and they uh-huh. didn't. They were waiting uh-huh. for their shipment from the Royal Canadian Mint, which never showed up. But my yeah. friend bought the bar from them because he. They said they had it in inventory, and that's a common practice. And, and you know, I. I don't think these companies should be doing that, but they do. Yeah. I just think you need to be really careful. I mean, all right, Dave. Our, we ha- we, we do have bought, to go. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, our fund bought you know several million dollars worth of bullion from Tolving, and we never had a problem. And then yeah. all of a sudden, Tolving goes bankrupt. Yeah. And that's that's how it happens. And I think right. the only way to really be safe is just to say, okay, I'm going to pay up, I'm going to pay up in premium, and I'm going to walk into a local coin dealer and get it and get the and metal. buy walk from them, and I can walk, walk out with it in my pocket. All right, Dave, we have to go. We're out of time. Thank you very much for being with us. We'll like to do it again sometime in the near Thanks, future. Thanks, Appreciate it. That's it for this week, folks. Next week, Richard Mayberry will be with me. And uh, until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. 